0: Welcome to War Stories. I'm Preston Stewart, and this is a show where we talk about America's military history through the lens of individual acts of heroism and valor. Enjoy. Today we have the story of Captain Robert Foley. Captain Foley was the company commander for Alpha Company, Second Battalion, 27th Infantry Regiment, part of the 25th Infantry Division during the Vietnam War, or he was in that position in 1966 during the Vietnam War. And the time period we're going to talk about is in early November, November 5th, 1966, when he works alongside something known as Operation Attleboro. His unit isn't necessarily a main portion of that force, but they find themselves tied into the operation shortly after it kicks off. So, in Vietnam, we, this is a very early stage of the war in Vietnam, all things considered. The troop levels won't—we're kind of on the up and up. Troop levels will will continue to increase. 66 is up there. We've got a lot of forces in country in 1966. 67, I believe, ends up being the peak of U.S. force, a little over half a million, I think close to 600,000. But in 66, we're, we're still bouncing around the country, pursuing the enemy forces— through a method known as search and destroy, something heavily used in Vietnam. Now, the Vietnam War, if we step back a little bit, is going to be a clash between the North Vietnamese and the South Vietnamese. It's a very long, thin country, North to South. And during the Cold War, the country was divided. Well, at that time, the country was divided with the North being backed by the... Soviet uh, the Soviet Union and China and and the major communist powers in the South being backed by more western-style democracies and it was a it was one of the areas in the world that turned hot during the Cold War. So the United States was, as we know, directly involved on the ground in Vietnam. We had you know over I think 600,000 troops at one point on the ground in Vietnam. The Soviet Union and China didn't really I mean they had advisors in the North. But they didn't have the same level of direct commitment, I think is a good way to say it. They were very interested in the outcome of the conflict. And the the general nature of the conflict is the South wanted to remain a form of democracy. I think one of the challenges throughout the Vietnam War was, well, challenge for the United States in most conflicts when we're talking about trying to uphold or establish democracy is we take what we see, you know, the American version of that and say, this is what we're going to try to set up or, or enable. And in South Vietnam's democracy did not look like U S democracy in, in, in any way, nonetheless, it was, how about this? It wasn't communist and that was going to be one of the challenges in the, in the sixties. So North Vietnam is communist. And this was kind of the idea of the domino theory where, who cares about in the grand strategic nature of of world politics? Who cares about you know little old South Vietnam? But the idea was the relatively well accepted idea was every country, every additional zero sum game. So every country that's not um, communist and falls communist is a, is a major loss for Western civilization um, or, or the Western democracies. So the concern was, if South Vietnam fell, then Laos would fall, and Cambodia would fall, and we'd continue this domino effect. Of course, a lot of these did. I think looking back, that idea of a domino effect has has likely been disproven. It didn't happen quite as as quick and rapidly as we thought. Nonetheless, the United States in the '60s really is when we we kind of dive into Vietnam. We have decided that we're not going to let the South fall to the North. Now, there's a couple challenges in South Vietnam. You have the North Vietnamese Army, a traditional army of sorts, not to the technological position of the U.S. Army, but a conventional army nonetheless. And then you have the Viet Cong, which is a, combina- it's a guerrilla force, and it's a combination of South Vietnamese supporters, of North Vietnam or North Vietnamese that have infiltrated and look like civilians behind enemy lines. I mean, this is one country. These aren't even separate countries. This was one country that was divided. So there's families split up between the war. So somebody from the North can pretty easily sneak down South and blend in. It's not that hard. So throughout the war, the United States is primarily going to be dealing with the North Vietnamese forces, again, more conventional, and Viet Cong, a little more unconventional. Sometimes they'll fight, those two those two organizations or types of units will fight together. Other times they're going to be totally separate. They're both going to prove um, very resilient enemies and very um, competent foes, I would say, at the end of the day. One of the strategies the U.S. works with in Vietnam is something called search and destroy. The challenge in South Vietnam was that we couldn't just put a wall up. You know, it would almost be easier if it was just an island. You could just seal off the borders, seal off the coast, and nobody's coming in. There's no, there's no changing of the hearts and minds of the little villages throughout South Vietnam. But that wasn't the case. The, again, it was relatively easy for folks from the north to make it into the south. And then you had this mess on the Western border of Cambodia and Laos, where those countries weren't necessarily directly supporting the North or the South or the US or the Soviet Union, but they were just really porous borders. It's it's easy to make the comparison. So I'll do it. Um, of Pakistan today in the war on terror with the, the border share between Pakistan and Afghanistan, where it's this political boundary that really hamstrings operations and makes things drag on potentially longer than they would otherwise. You know, if Afghanistan was an island, things would be a little bit different because they wouldn't be, have the ability to to sneak across this border and all of a sudden be out of out of range. That's happening in South Vietnam. And because it's a war of the people, we're trying to win hearts and minds, trying to make sure that the people of South Vietnam support their government and reject any pleas or thoughts to join the North. We're concerned with infiltrators, with Viet Cong, with you know, it's not all fighters, it's not all militants. There's people coming in spreading ideas in South Vietnam. And we're trying to stop that. That's hard. It's really hard to do. Especially again when you split up families. So it's not even a foreigner coming in trying to spread ideas. It's a it's a it's somebody from your own, you know, your own ethnicity, your own nationality, your own, your your own countrymen. Anyways, one of the reasons, one of the the tactics the United States gets into is something called search and destroy. And the reason for that is we just can't build these borders per se. So what we're going to do is bounce around the countryside and try to find where enemy forces are. And when we find them, because they're not not always easy to find, when we find them, we will fix and destroy them. So, you know, to to really sum it up, it was kind of the thought of, if only we could find the bad guys, we can overwhelm them and kill them. We have more and better air power. We have more and and better weapons, in a sense. Maybe I shouldn't go down that rabbit hole. But we have more people, potentially. We have, um, you know... if you can find the enemy, you can kill them and then you can win the war. Remember, this is also a time in the Vietnam War where one of the leading metrics of if we're winning or if we're losing is a body count. So we're tracking number of enemy soldiers killed. And that's the success metric, which we'll, we'll do a podcast of that at some point. But when something like that, it, it's a mess. It, people start inflating numbers. And when we look back on the number of enemy soldiers killed in Vietnam, it is outrageous to think that it, it just... At every level, things were adjusted just a little bit. And next thing you know, we've got some just crazy numbers in front of us. But that was the idea. That's how we're going to win the war. We're going to eliminate the enemy forces. It's essentially going to leave the – and this is really simplifying it. It's going to leave these people of South Vietnam with no other choice. They've got – which, lucky for them, the best choice is right there. It's democracy, so they don't have to worry about this. But search and destroy is how we're going to do that. Bounce all over the country find the enemy fix them kill them move on that's going on in 1966 during something known as Operation Attleboro there's um, I think a brigade size element operating to do this this search and destroy and like as soon as they get moving they and this is one of the risks of search and destroy is your you, you have the potential to be baited in if you land a battalion, and there's an enemy regiment, you know, maybe three, four times your size, they might not come down on you with their full firepower because they might say, wait a minute, let's see if we can get another battalion in here, and then we'll just wipe them out. You know, there's the Battle of the Idrang Valley wasn't long ago. I might have my timelines messed up there. But it's similar in the sense where the the enemy has the ability to lure American units in because they kind of start to understand the tactics that we're pursuing. But nonetheless, Battle of Ad- Operation Attleboro, the units hit the ground and right out the gate are under pretty intense contact. There's a company there that is quickly surrounded. The company commander is killed. I guess I'll say they're at risk of being overrun. They're taking substantial casualties. And Captain Foley, company commander, is his battalion commander gets the call he tasks fully and says, hey, you need to go out here and relieve this American unit. Not, not relieve them in force. Not, you're not going to take their position in the line. They're really going to fight their way out there to get them and bring them back. Remember, there comes a point with units when you take too many casualties and you can't move yourself. You know, for example, let's say there's 100 people in that company that are stranded out there behind enemy lines or behind the front lines of the American unit is probably a better way to say it. If they have say, 30% casualties and they've got 30 people wounded out of that 100. They have to move all of those 30. Let's say it takes two people to move each one. Now you've got 60 people moving the wounded, 30 people wounded. You have 10 for security. That's not going to work. And that's only 30% casualties. What if it's 40, 50? So there comes a point where units become bogged down and they can't move due to the, the number of casualties. So Anyways, Foley is tasked with going in there, helping get this American unit out. They move through the American lines and they're like 40 yards into the patrol. It is dense, thick, nasty jungle. They are barely into the patrol when they come under fire. The enemy opens up from a couple, you know, dug in prepared positions. They've got snipers in the trees, they're throwing grenades, and it's just, you know, talk about nightmare. It's scary to be shot at no matter what, but what if you can't see five feet in any direction? Like just terrifying to, to think of that. And then you don't know exactly where your guys are and, and you've got to figure out how they're laid out and, and who's getting hit and, and where It's a challenge to say the least. Nonetheless, our enemy opens fire, barely outside the lines and right away Foley's men, Foley and his men start taking casualties. Foley has two radio telephone operators, guys that are manning the radios to send back to higher headquarters, kind of keep my praise of the situation. They were often targeted in the first wave in an ambush. You know, if you, if the enemy doesn't see you and you get the chance to open up on them first, are you going to shoot a rifleman? Or are you going to shoot a guy with a radio? Or are you going to shoot a guy with rank on his forehead? I mean, these are common tactics in Vietnam and radio telephone operators having a big antenna flapping off their back were very often targeted early. It was a dangerous job. Radio, Two of the RTOs go down fully under fire, goes out there, picks up these RTOs and moves them back to safety. He then comes forward to assess the situation to figure out what's the best way to move forward, what's the best way to overcome this enemy ambush. They're on the verge of getting pinned down. As he's moving towards the front lines, he is near one of his machine gunners who gets hit and falls wounded. And at this point, it's it's Foley talks about just getting angry and being upset because his guys are getting wounded. His guys are getting shot up around him and they're on the verge of being pinned down. They're the rescue force. They're the ones that are supposed to go in and help the American unit. And now they're on the verge of taking too many casualties and getting pinned down that you can see the direction this is going. So Foley, a company commander, tasked with leading this force of around 100 men, he gets so angry that he starts linking together machine gun ammunition, picks up the M60 machine gun, and charges forward into the enemy ambush. He approaches very quickly three different bunkers, gets right up on them, and starts spraying fire point blank, killing on sight. Fully, after... Essentially clearing these three bunkers himself and 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 breaking the back of the enemy ambush, turns around and sees that his men are moving forward. His guys were watching this. And they're still, they're all every one of them engaged in a deadly, deadly fight. And they see their company commander stand up, charge forward in the face of enemy fire, break the assault. His guys get up, push forward. They push through the enemy lines to get to the American unit that's stranded. They reinforce and start to bring those boys home. Because of Foley's initiative, because of his daring assault forward into the enemy line, they were able to accomplish the mission of bringing the rest of those American soldiers home. So we're talking about dozens, maybe, of Americans that could have been captured, just killed and overrun eventually. But instead, because Foley got so angry that his guys were getting shot and he charged directly into the enemy fire, they at least made it out of the fight that day. So Captain Robert Foley, for assaulting through the enemy lines to rescue the stranded American unit and allow those soldiers to come home and fight another day, will be awarded the Medal of Honor. Would stay in service for 37 years, would retire in the year 2000 at the rank of Lieutenant General. And right when he left the service in 2000, would go on to serve as the president of Marion Military Institute. So pretty cool story. Captain Robert Foley, Medal of Honor, the Vietnam War. Hey, thanks for listening to War Stories. If you get a chance, it'd mean an awful lot if you could head over to Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast and leave a review. It helps others to, to find the show. But thanks again for listening.